Good morning, Providence Baptist Church. It's a joy to be almost with you. I'm uh, very close to returning. We're actually uh, at home. Uh, I'm in the basement under quarantine. Uh, we'll be for the next week and a half. Um, but I'm glad that at least you get to see me this morning. Uh, such as it is, I, I hope I'll be able to see you uh, in, uh, in two Sundays. Um, I would ask if you could please stand with me out of reverence for the word of our Lord as we look at our passage for this morning, Luke chapter 18, verses 15 to 17. And I'm going to actually read all the way down to verse 30 <clears throat> um, so you can see the context uh, of the passage. <clears throat> Luke 18, 15. Now they were bringing even infants to him that he might touch them. When the disciples saw it, they rebuked him. But Jesus called them to him, saying, Let the children come to me and do not hinder them. For to such belongs the kingdom of God. Truly I say to you, whoever does not receive the kingdom of God like a child shall not enter it. And a ruler asked him, Good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Jesus said to him, Why do you call me good? No one is good except God alone. You know the commandments. Do not commit adultery. Do not murder. Do not steal. Do not bear false witness. Honor your father and mother. And he said, All these I have kept from my youth. When Jesus heard this, he said to him, One thing you still lack, sell all that you have and distribute to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven, and come, follow me. But when he heard these things, he became very sad, for he was extremely rich. Jesus, looking at him with sadness, said, How difficult is it for those who have wealth to enter the kingdom of God? For is it, easy, it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. Those who heard it said, Then who can be saved? But he said, What is impossible with men is possible with God. And Peter said, See, we have left our homes and followed you. And he said to them, Truly I say to you, there is no one who has left house or wife or brothers or parents or children for the sake of the kingdom of God who will not receive many times more in this time and in the age to come eternal life. This is the word of our Lord. May he write his eternal truths upon our hearts this morning and for all eternity for his glory. Let's pray again together. Almighty God, as we approach this passage of scripture, we are confident in the power of your Holy Spirit and in the power of your word through the Spirit to accomplish that for which you send it. And Lord, we pray that this morning that your word would be used to accomplish your will. We pray that your word would be used to bring life where once there was death. We pray that your word would be used to bring worship where once there was rebellion. We pray that your word would, would bring obedience where once there was disobedience. We pray all these, these things confident in the power of your Holy Spirit to accomplish your work through your word. Amen. Please be seated. If you know me at all, you know that I love water. In fact, many of my happiest moments have been spent on, in, or under the water, and that was certainly true as we were away. During our time at Jane's parents' house, we were in the pool daily. And our youngest, our, our daughter Vivian, would, without hesitation, jump from the side of the pool into my arms as I stood there in the shallow end waiting to catch her. But Liam and Owen, on the other hand, were much more reluctant. Now, why is that? 
Why is it that Vivian would be willing to jump while Liam and Owen weren't? Liam and Owen have had swimming lessons. Vivian hasn't. Liam and Owen can stand up in the shallow end. Vivian isn't even close. So why will she jump and her brothers won't? Well, there's two main reasons. Vivian trusts implicitly that her daddy will catch her. Also, Vivian hasn't let, let, yet learned to be afraid of the water. But the boys, however, have had some scary experiences, not with me, but with the water. The children are, are, children are naturally trusting. But experience, especially being hurt by others, teaches them not to trust others. And as they get older, people learn to conclude from their experiences that the world is a scary place. They were, they learn to rely on themselves. They learn to protect themselves. And people hurt them. So they're reluctant to trust others. They're reluctant to put their reliance in someone else, even when that person is God. Because they do not know God by faith. Now, of course, I'm, I'm always going to catch my children when they jump into the pool. So would you. In fact, I think that, that all of us would be there to catch any child who jumped into the water. But what would you think about someone who let a child jump into the water but didn't catch them? They, they just left the child desperately thrashing and, and kicking and bobbing under the surface. Maybe they're just too distracted by doing their own thing to even notice. Maybe they see other people in the pool and they think, it's not my responsibility. Maybe they think, well, that, that kid just needs to, to learn to swim the hard way like I did. What would you say about someone who stood idly by and left the child to drown? Or far worse than that even. What if they actively held the child's head under the water? Now, this isn't hyperbole. By attempting to hinder these children from coming to Christ, they're actually attempting to hinder them being blessed by Christ and, and even possibly from receiving life in Christ. Now, it might not have been atten an intentional, but the disciples were drowning these children. Thankfully, Jesus rebuked the disciples, and Jesus overruled the disciples. If he hadn't, we don't know what would have happened to these children, but they would not have been blessed by Jesus, at least not in this moment. Very possibly, they would have drowned in their sin. So this morning, we're going to see how Jesus rebukes the disciples for rebuking the parents who bring their children to Jesus. And in so doing, Jesus highlights that, that these children are representative of those who come to him in faith and who enter the kingdom of God. Jesus is also demonstrating how disciples should respond to children. Now let's consider this passage in its context. Don't, don't miss the forest for the trees. Don't, don't, miss, don't look at, at verses 15 to 17 so much so that you, you miss the rest of what's going on here. 
Now remember, this, this section began back at the beginning of chapter 18, and we're going to run all the way to the triumphal entry in the middle of chapter 19. The, the chapter breaks, and the, the subheadings in your Bible are, are often helpful, but they're not always helpful. Now, we have talked about this before, but, but maybe you, you don't remember this. It has been a while. It's, it might not be helpful when the preacher goes on vacation in the middle of a passage either. But I'm back, and, and hopefully we can remedy some of these things. Luke began this section talking about attitudes that please God. And he, talking, he was talking about the character of the citizens of the kingdom of God. He's talking about those who enter the kingdom and those who will not enter the kingdom. This has been the point ever since the beginning of chapter 18 and halfway through chapter 19. It's about real faith versus false faith. It's about the humble versus the proud. It's about the self-effacing versus the self-righteous. It's about the sincere versus the hypocrites. It's about those who, who know they're weak versus those who think they are strong. And it all answers the question that Jesus asked back in Luke 18.8. When the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on earth? Will he find faith on earth? As his earthly ministry draws to a close, we're, we're going to see that, that, that only those who respond to Jesus in faith will, will understand his role as king and will enter the kingdom. But here between chapter 18.1 and 19.27, we see widows and tax collectors and children, a blind beggar, all of these people, outsiders, outcasts, rejects from society. We see these kinds of people entering the kingdom of God. But those on the proverbial inside, the Pharisee rejects God even while he prays. And the rich young ruler who will see next week, Lord willing, rejects God even while he obeys. But these outsiders will, insiders rather, will find themselves outside of the kingdom of God, while those who are viewed to be on the outside will be on the inside. Much of the response that, that we see from the, the religious leaders, especially in this section, but really throughout Luke's gospel account, is the opposite of the faith that Jesus requires. Rather, it's rejection. And Jesus is here, remember, from back in 951, Jesus began his, his journey towards Jerusalem. It, it took an, a year for Jesus to get there. And we're going to see that very soon Jesus is going to arrive in Jerusalem with the triumphal entry. And then very soon after that, he's going to be crucified. This is the pinnacle of the rejection of Jesus by his own people especially by the religious establishment. But throughout this gospel account, we've, we've also seen how Jesus welcomes the outcasts. How he's intentionally calling those who are, are the outcasts of society, that he's calling them to himself, like these children. The question here is, is, will the disciples do the same? Will the disciples show the kind of faith that Jesus requires? We're not going to have to wait very long to find out. So Jesus' welcoming of the children here in Luke 18, 13 to 15 is, is followed immediately by the rejection of Jesus by the rich young ruler in verses 17 to 31. Now, verses 13 to 15 are recorded 
the other synoptic gospels as well in, in Matthew and in Mark. It's there in, in Matthew 19, 13 to 15 and in Mark 10, 13 to 16. And in each case, in each of the three synoptic gospels, this event with the children is immediately followed by the event which with the rich young ruler. Again, Jesus is speaking about the kind of people who enter the kingdom of God. You'll say that here in, in verses 16 and 17, talking about those who enter the kingdom of God. He's going to use the exact same terminology as we'll see next week, Lord willing, in verses 24 and 25. So clearly these, these passages go together. However, for the sake of time, I'm just going to deal with verses 13 to 15 this morning. And we'll come next week, I trust, to, to the next section with the rich young ruler. But here in Luke 18, 15 to 17, I, I, I see two main points. First of all, in verses 15 to 16a, we see the disciples rebuked. And then in Luke 18, 16b to 17, we see the children accepted. So the disciples rebuked and the children accepted. So first of all, verses 15 to 16a, the disciples rebuked. Their passage begins, parents are bringing their children to Jesus. Now, the word that's translated infants here in verse 15 can refer to a baby in the womb like it does of John the Baptist in, in, in utero in uh, Luke 1, 41 and 44. And, or it can refer to a newborn as it does of Jesus in the manger in Luke 2, 12 and 16. Or as we'll see later on in 1 Peter 2, 2. However, in 2, Peter, sorry, in 2 Timothy 3.15, the, the same word that's translated infants here refers to a child who's actually old enough to understand the scriptures. As, as Paul tells Timothy, remember how from childhood you've been acquainted with sacred writings which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Jesus Christ. So it's hard to be definitive here about, about who's intended in verses through whether it's, it's infants or, or young children. But, but notice that in verses 16 and 17, Luke shifts to the, the broader term for child. So most likely what's, what's happening here is they're the children of, of various ages who are, who are being brought to Jesus to be blessed by him. These parents want, want Jesus to, to bless their children by touching them. Now it could be that, that these parents wanted Jesus to, to heal the children as we've repeatedly seen Jesus healing people just, just by, by touching them, as he does with the, uh, the, the leper in Luke 5.13. Or, or, or it might simply be that they wanted Jesus to bless their children by, by laying hands on them, as this was seen to, to impart a blessing. In fact, Mark says that Jesus specifically does this in this situation in, in Mark 10.16. So the parents are bringing their children to Jesus, but the disciples don't like it. So they rebuked the parents. Now, perhaps they thought that, that Jesus was, was too busy to be bothered with dealing with children. Perhaps they thought that the children were, were beneath his notice, not important enough for him. As I explained a, a moment ago, in this section, from 18, 1 to halfway through chapter 19, and really through all of Luke, we see outsiders coming to Jesus. Again, widows, tax collectors, these children, a blind beggar, societal rejects are, are coming to Jesus and are accepted by Jesus. Well, it's the, the movers and the shakers who, who reject Jesus. 
and are rejected by him. So again, it's, it's throughout all of, of Luke's gospel account, we see outsiders entering the kingdom of God, and we see those who are, on the, who are supposed to be in, on the inside are, are outside of the kingdom of God. But the disciples don't get it. Disciples don't understand what Jesus is doing here. They don't understand who children are, and they really don't understand, in this sense, who Jesus is. And you need to, to, to understand that, that what Jesus was saying and was doing here was countercultural. You get a sense of this from Luke's wording in verse 15. Even infants were brought to Jesus. Now, in our society, in our culture, we children at least children who were born, tend to be valued, tend to be, be cared for and loved. And, and, and at this point, our society loves babies. But in the ancient Near East, where there was a, a very high um, infant and mortality rate, and just really in general in the culture, children's value was not seen in their God-given role as image bearers or as potential worshipers of God or even as, as really as persons of their own right. They were, they were looked down upon. They were, were seen, not heard. They were, they were really unimportant in the culture. And so in one sense, it's, it's understandable that the disciples don't get it, but they've been with Jesus now for almost three years. They should have understood. And this really isn't the first time that, that, we've, we've seen, that they have seen Jesus respond to children. Numerous times they had seen Jesus healing children. In fact, Jesus has gone out of his way to care for children. And remember back in Luke 9, 46 to 48, ask if you could please turn with me there, back to Luke 9, 46 to 48. Just after Jesus has prophesied of his death, in, in verses 43 to 45, in verse 46, an argument arises amongst the disciples as to which one of them was the greatest. It's incredible that Jesus has just talked about his death, and, and now they're, they're arguing about who's the greatest. And so Jesus took a child and brought the child close to his side and said to them, verse 48, Whoever receives this child in my name receives me, and whoever receives me receives him who sent me. For he was least among you, at least among you all, is the one who is great. So not only here did, did this child that Jesus brought to himself represent humble faith, but Jesus was explicitly telling them, as we'll see in a moment, to receive such a one. And amazingly, he told them that those who receive a child in his name are receiving him. They're receiving the one who sent him. But then look at verse 49. We see John's answer. He, John's answer is, is he, his reply is that, that we saw someone casting out demons in your name. But it says we tried to stop him because he wasn't one of us. Do you see the, the self-importance? Do you see the pride? Jesus corrected John. And then look at the very next passage. Even as Jesus begins to set his face to go to Jerusalem in verse 51. Their first stop is at a Samaritan village, and, and the Samaritans reject Jesus, so 
John and his brother James want to call fire down from heaven to, to consume, to destroy the Samaritans. And now Jesus rebukes John and James. Again, this is, this is pride. This is audacity. This is, this is having contempt for others. And that was all it said at the beginning of Jesus' journey to Jerusalem. And now here we are nine chapters and almost a year later, and they still don't understand. They're running out of time to figure it out. Because again, just in just a few days, Jesus is going to arrive in Jerusalem. And a few days after that, he's going to be crucified. So this time, here back in, in Luke 18, Jesus has just taught the parable about the Pharisee and the tax collector, again, directly to those who trusted in themselves that they were righteous and treated others with contempt. Luke 18.9. Now notice here that he's not addressing anybody directly. So this isn't just about the Pharisees. The disciples are, are in view here as well. And, and frankly, we are as well. Again, the disciples might not have been self-righteous per se, but again, they were certainly treating others with contempt. They were treating these children with contempt. The disciples failed to understand and failed to participate in Jesus' mission. In fact, they were actively working against the kingdom. Listen to Joel Green. Failing to understand how the inbreaking kingdom undermines and supplants conventional canons of honor and status, the disciples failed to grasp God's concern for those held in lowest regard, failed to comport themselves with humility so as to share that concern, and failed to function as Jesus' agents. The disciples blow it again. They were at least willing to let these children drown, if not actively holding their heads underwater. In this moment, they looked more like the self-righteous Pharisee than they did like the repentant tax collector. So as the disciples rebuke the parents, Jesus rebukes the disciples. He says, let them come to me. It repeats for emphasis, do not hinder them. There in verse 16. In the parallel, in Mark 10, 14, we read that when Jesus thought he was indignant, Jesus was, was, was angry at the disciples for what they had done. But Jesus brings the children close to himself. Again, from Mark 10, 16. He took them, the children, in his arms and blessed them, laying hands on them. Friends, God cares for children. God even cares for children in the womb. As David says in Psalm 139, verses 13 and 14, For you formed my inward parts. You knitted me together in my mother's womb. I praise you for I'm fearfully and wonderfully made. Every child who's conceived is being knit and formed together by God in the womb. Every child is fearfully and wonderfully made. God cares for children. God cares for the souls of children. But do you care for children? Do you care for the souls of children? It's one thing, I think, here you really need to consider is, is what are you doing about abortion? Are you doing anything? Are you even praying? There are over 100,000 abortions in Canada every year. Fully one out of every four pregnancies is ended by the murder of abortion. 
Now that's shocking. When I, when I first heard that statistic, I, I didn't believe it was correct. So I, I looked it up and the numbers are actually accurate. One in four pregnancies, one in four children in this country is murdered in the mother's womb. And it isn't just Canada. The, the figures are, are parallel in the U.S. and they're actually worse in many countries around the world. Uh, abortion is one of the greatest horrors that has ever taken place. And what are you doing to stop it? Do you care about the souls of children? Do you care about the souls of the children in this church? Do you care about the souls of the children in your neighborhood? Do you care about the souls of your children, of the children in your, in your own family, in your extended family? Do you, as the, the King James Version says, do you suffer the children to come to you? Have you taken an active interest in the souls of the children in this church? That there are many opportunities. We hosted a, a backyard Bible club at our house this summer. We hope that, that several families will do that next, next summer. I'd love for, for our church in the future to, to host a vacation Bible school where we can invite a lot of children from the neighborhood and from, from your neighborhood as well. I want to give a, a plug here for something exciting that's coming up. If you remember a couple of years ago, we, we, we hosted Truth Trackers. It's, it's, it's a, a, a Bible study and, and catechism for training for children. And when, when Jane and I were in California, we, we met with the, the man who, who wrote that material, and, and he graciously gave us, for free, gave us more copies of the, of the material and, and of the, the, the booklets and, um, and T-shirts and things like that for, for us to use free of charge. And we've been eager to get back into it as the, the restrictions ease, but, but Pastor Joshua and I have been, have been talking about, about rather than do this on an evening, is actually having truth trackers on a, on a Sunday morning before the church service. And we're going to be bringing this up at our, our next uh, members meeting in, in October, and we want, we're going to be seeking your, your input on this, but we're really going to be seeking your help, especially your prayers, as we begin to think about implementing this and what that's going to look like in our particular church context. Again, there's, there's many opportunities. These are formal opportunities that, that, that where, where you can care for the souls of children. But it's not just formal opportunities. It, there's, there's many informal opportunities as well. In the fellowship time after the service, do, do you make the opportunity to, to sit down and, and talk with children? Now, I think it would be a good idea before you do that to, to say to, the parent, to their parents, I'd, I'd like to sit down and and talk with your child about Jesus, is that okay? And I'm sure any parent would be saying, yes, please do. Pray for the children of this church. Be really intentional in, in the way that, that, you, that you live out the gospel before the children of this church. The, the, the children of this church and the children in your family are, are not just listening to you, but they're watching you. Are you caring for, for the, the children amongst us in the way that you conduct yourself? In the way that you live your life. I wonder, do you, do you see the children in our midst as a nuisance? As, as just as it's just a problem that get in the way and they make a mess and you know, maybe the fellowship time they're too noisy. But do you celebrate the children in our midst? Do you care for the children in our midst? Pray for them and talk to them about Christ. Are you content to, to leave them separate from Christ? Are you somehow hindering them 
from coming to Christ. Don't be like the disciples who were content to leave these children to drown. Don't be like the disciples who were trying to hold these children's head underwater. So now having rebuked the disciples and then anyone who would, would ignore or, or even hinder the spiritual needs of a child, Jesus provides the main motivation for doing the opposite, for actively seeking to bring children to Christ. So verses 16b and 17, we see the children accepted. Again, having brought the children close to himself and, and having rebuked the disciples, telling them, let the children come to me and do not hinder them, Jesus now tells them why. Look at the second part of, of verse 16. For to such belongs the kingdom of God. My friends, this is not a, a proof text for infant baptism. Nowhere in scripture do we see anyone getting baptized without first believing. Nor is Jesus teaching here that the babies go to heaven. Now that might be the case, and, and I hope it's the case, but the scriptures don't clearly teach that. Yet it, it is very probable that among these children were those who were old enough to believe. Remember again from, from 2 Timothy 3.15. It's very probable that, that at least some of these children that Jesus blessed in this passage eventually came to saving faith. But that's not the point that Jesus is making here. Jesus is simply saying that it is people like these children who will receive the kingdom of God. He's saying that the children are emblematic of citizens of the kingdom of God. He's saying that children represent the kind of faith that God requires. So here, Jesus' welcome of little children represents his welcome of all who come to him in faith. You must enter the kingdom like a child. So what does Jesus mean here? Well, I think we, we all know that, that, as I said in my illustration at the beginning, that, that young children trust implicitly. Like my daughter jumping into my arms in the pool. Children are naturally trusting. Jesus is saying that that's how we must trust God. That we must, must trust God implicitly. Though in the case of saving faith, this trust isn't natural, but it's supernatural. Faith is a gift from the Holy Spirit. Paul says in Ephesians 2.8-9, For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not of your own doing, it is the gift of God, not of works, so that no one may boast. Paul is saying here that, that grace and salvation and faith are all the gift of God. In Philippians 1.29, he says that it has been granted to you that for the sake of Christ, you should believe. So we are to have faith, in that, but that faith is, again, it's a gift. Now, we, we are to, to fan that faith into a flame and to, to, to through the power of the Holy Spirit and be conforming to the word, to, to exercise our faith and to strengthen our faith, but, but this faith that saves is a gift from God. And young children, and this, this kind of, of, of natural implicit faith, are their example. Similarly, young children have no self-righteousness. Young children aren't, aren't self-reliant. They aren't confident in themselves. They, they naturally rely on their parents, and, and they, they don't have a sense that, that they're better than other people or worse than other people. They just, they just are. 
Now, of course, self-righteousness and, and self-reliance do appear in our children at a, at a relatively young age, sooner than we would like. They often appear in us more often than we would like. Young children also have an innocence about the ways of the world. Now, I'm not saying that the children are innocent. We all know that children are born with a sin nature. We know that children are conceived with a sin nature. I'm saying that the young children haven't experienced and haven't embraced the worldliness that is around them. Again, this happens earlier than we would like. And as parents and as a church, we strive to protect our children from this. But again, it also happens in us more often than we would like. So we strive, as Paul admonishes in 1 Corinthians 14.20, to be infants in evil. And instead, as Peter encourages us, as those who have tasted that the Lord is good, we, are like newborn infants, long for the pure spiritual milk that by it we may grow up into salvation. 1 Peter 2.2. Again, that uses the same word that, that is used here in, in Luke 18.15. So these, these are the types of, of characteristics that, 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 that children possess. That Jesus is saying, represent the citizens of the kingdom of God and implicit trust and faith, a lack of self-righteousness and self-reliance, innocence in worldliness and evil. These are all, these are all typical of children and, and are typical of, of those who enter, well, not typical, they're necessary for those who, who enter the children, enter the kingdom of God. So finally, in verse 17, Jesus says, truly I say to you, Whoever does not receive the kingdom of God like a child shall, shall not enter it. Have you entered the kingdom of God like a child? Is your life more, more characterized by self-reliance or reliance on God, by, by self-righteousness or an awareness that you have no righteousness? Are you characterized by, by innocence in, in the worldliness and evil, or are you, you characterized by, by righteousness and in, in, as you are, as you experience the regenerating work of the Holy Spirit and the, the sanctifying work of the Holy Spirit in your life. Most importantly here, do you have that faith? Are you trusting in Christ and Christ alone for your salvation? Or are you trusting in anything else? Again, these are the questions that you ask to determine whether you are indeed citizen of the kingdom of God, whether you have entered the kingdom of God. And we fail in, in, in these things. We, we, we can all tend to self-righteousness. We can, we, can, we can all be self-reliant. We can all get, get sucked into worldliness. But are you trusting in Christ? Are you continually walking and growing and repenting of these things? But Keep your, your focus fixed firmly on Christ. This is what it means to be a citizen of the kingdom of God. This is what it means to be a child of God. So while Jesus is not saying here that these children in this passage were saved, there is an application here for children. So children, listen carefully to me. I wish I could be there in person to, to look at your faces as I say this. You can enter the kingdom of God. Give your heart to Jesus. 
Turn away from your sin and believe in him. Trust in Christ. If you're old enough to understand what I'm saying here, you're old enough to be a Christian. Believe in Christ. You've heard the gospel countless times here and in your home. God the Son took on human flesh and lived a sinless life, a perfectly righteous life, but gave up his life on the cross. He was perfect, but he was punished for all of the sin of God's children. When you repent and believe in Jesus, it's like Jesus did all of the bad things that you did. It's like you did all of the good things that Jesus did. And so you can be righteous, counted righteous in Christ by trusting in Christ. And the same is true for adults. Do you believe what I'm saying here? Are you a citizen of the kingdom of God? Are you bowing the knee to King Jesus, trusting in him alone for your salvation? Are you a child of God? Unbeliever, child, or adult, God is willing you, willing for you to, to he's willing to welcome you as his child. Trust in him. And if you are trusting in Christ for your salvation, if you are, are genuinely a born-again follower of Jesus Christ, if you are a child of God by faith in Christ, you know peace without and you know peace within. Now, I know as we all sometimes have to fight for that peace within. But it's there because you are at peace with God. You can say with David in Psalm 131, 2 and 3. But I've calmed and quieted my soul like a weaned child with its mother, like a weaned child is my soul within me. Because your hope is in the Lord from this time forth and forevermore. Let's pray together. Almighty God, we praise you for your word. We praise you for life that comes through your word, through the power of your Holy Spirit. And we pray now for the unbelievers who are hearing this message. Whether they be children or adults, we pray that you would cause them to turn to Christ in faith and repentance. We pray that that you would empower these words through your spirit that, that you might bring life. We pray, Lord, that you would help all of us Lord, to care for children. We pray that you'd help us to to care for the children in our family, our our extended family, our church family, our neighborhoods, and and for the unborn children who are being slaughtered in this country. We pray that, that you would help us to pray for the salvation of children, for the protection of children. We pray that, that you would help us to be intentional in shining the light of the gospel in word and in deed with the children that are around us. Lord, that you would be pleased to to use us, not to hinder children from coming to Christ, but to facilitate their coming to Christ. Help us, Lord, to preach the gospel to the children around us and to live the gospel before them for the advance of your kingdom for the good of the saints.
for the glory of your name. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.